Hey everybody, what's up? This is your boy Sugar Ray, man. We are here with the Black Men Working Podcast. We haven't been on in a while. Um, pardon me for that. It's just been a lot happening, a lot of great things happening, man. So um, we're back today, uh, Wednesday, March 13th, 2019, and we're here with a very, very, very special brother, a brother I met just the other day, man, a couple of days ago at an event, a Literary Madness, which was hosted and put on by the Sugar and Spice Book Club, which is founded by my sister, Alicia Evans. Um, and it was great, man. And, you know, this brother inspired me. He is an author. He's an author of 17 books, soon to be 18. He's a screenwriter. He's a single dad. He is out here working day in and day out to make it happen for himself, his family, his community. And without further ado, brother Keith, Kareem, Williams, the three names. That means you know you got to listen because it's three names. And we out here. Peace, brother. Peace, man. Good morning. How you doing? I'm all right, man. Um, so let's jump right into it, brother. Right. Um, you're an author. Yes. How did that process, like, how did you become an author? What was that process like? What gave you the inspiration for your first book? Um, I know many people have dreams of being an author, and they don't manifest, they don't materialize. And then some people never even dream about writing a book. You actually want to write a book, they're like, for what? So was that one of your childhood dreams, or how, how did that, how did authorship come about for you? Growing up as a, you know, as a child, I was always a reader, avid reader. I used to write my own little stories. Growing up, I would always win like writing contests, poetry contests, essay contests, but I never really saw myself as an author. You know, it was just something I was good at. You know, sometimes you take your talent for granted. So when I went to college, I went into college actually undecided. I went to City College up in Harlem, and my second year took a fiction workshop, just as a class to just take a class to get closer to getting my degree. <laughs> um, what ended up happening is the professor didn't use textbooks. He said, all we're going to do is we're going to write. You guys are going to write. Bring your work in. I'm going to critique it. The class is going to critique it. And that's how you'll be graded. Now, at the time, I had moved out of my mother's house. I was 19. I was working two jobs. And for the first month and a half, I didn't say anything in class. And I said to myself, yo, this is not high school. If you fail this class because you didn't write anything, you didn't bring in any material, you didn't share, you have to take this again. That's going to cost you money. You don't have money to waste. So one afternoon I went home, I started writing at 2.30 in the afternoon. I didn't finish writing until 2.30 in the morning. Wow. The next time I brought that into class, it was almost like it was meant to be. Nobody else had written anything over the weekend to bring wow. in. And the professor said, well, I guess I'm gonna have to give you guys a writing exercise. And I said, wait, hold on, I have something. He didn't even know my name because I hadn't said anything, a word, I just quiet. Wow. I started to read and as I started to read what I wrote, I could feel the energy in the classroom change. I could feel the parts that were sad, you could feel the vibe change, the parts that were funny, people laughed. And when I read the last page of my notebook and closed the notebook, I felt the whole class take a breath. The professor said to me, what's your name again? <laughs> and he called me after class and said, you paying for school? I said, listen, I'm working two jobs and paying for school. He said, you shouldn't be. And when I read that day in that classroom, became the first two chapters of my first book. Wow. And, you know, after the class was over, I would see my classmates and run into the professor from time to time in school, and they would always tell me, yo, did you ever finish that book? Did you ever finish that book? So then money, just behind the eight ball, behind on bills, trying to keep up with everything, I had to drop out. I said, you know what, I'm going to take a break. Took a break, had my first son. So I said, I had to put school on hold again. Then when I was getting ready to go back, I said, all right, well, let me go back. I had my daughter. But after I had my daughter, I said, you know what? I'm not going to allow, like, just having to deal with life to stop me from doing something that I could be potentially good at. So I did my research. I 
looked up how to self-publish, and I finished that book. 2004, I self-published my first independent novel. What was that, before you go any further, what was that process like? Because I know now, 2018, 2019, self-publishing is different. What was that process like in 2004 to be a self-published author? What was that process like? That process was trickier. It was a little bit more expensive because, you know, at the time I was also starting, so there was a lot of things that I have since taught myself to do that I had to pay people to do for me. But that process at the time, the the real thing about it was self-publishing was frowned upon. You were somehow perceived as being putting out inferior quality because you didn't have a publisher. You was an amateur. Yeah, they looked right. You were viewed as an amateur. When the real reason why I decided to do it that way is because my writing style, the genre and the way I wrote. There was no publishing house that I saw that was doing what I was doing. So I understood that it would have taken a lot of convincing. Because even if I did get signed, would they know how to market what I was doing? So I decided instead of knocking on 100 doors and getting 100 no's, not because my work was inferior, but just because they wouldn't know what to do with it, let me do it. I know what to do with it. So that's why I went that route. But early on when I first started, even from other black authors, you used, used to hear, oh, you're not a real publisher. You're not a real this. You're yeah. amateur because you're self-publishing it. But now, look at it in 2018. You got people that are putting out ebooks every week. Mm-hmm. Right? Not even going through the process of having it edited yeah. or none of that. Just right upload. Right upload. PDF. Right. Straight, it out. straight up. Subscribe and get it in your email. Right. So that's the big difference is that I think People started to realize that just because are there bad self-published books? Absolutely. But it's not the case for everybody. You have talented people that just chose that route because you have, I like having control. Yep. Same. Complete control. I want to say what I want to say, how I want to say it. And that's that. Definitely. Let me ask you, whether in the process of writing that first book or in the process of self-publishing, was there any point you wanted to quit? And if so, how did you work through that? Right. Especially, Especially two children, young, a lot happening in life. Right. Right. Doing something new. Right. How did you you work through those feelings of maybe this isn't good enough or I should just quit? Right. The feedback that I got from the first book let me know that I was good enough. But... I still have my responsibilities. I have my family. I have two kids taking care of them. So my first book, I released in 2004. My second book, I didn't release till 2010. So I had a six-year gap. Well, I did. As much as the feedback was positive, as good as the first book did, I actually did stop for a while. Was it because of self-doubt or anything? No, not because of self-doubt, just because I didn't feel like I had the time. You know what I mean? I was just busy trying to keep bills paid and keep my family fed and keep, you know, and, and maintain it, right? So I kind of went with what was comfortable. It wasn't that I didn't believe in myself, but it was also a risky thing to do. So when we get to fast forward to 2010, I got to a point where I was getting comfortable with my job. Um, and I said to myself, if I don't make this move now, I'm going to lose the courage to do it later. I'm still young enough that I could take a chance. And if it doesn't work, I have time to recover. And I don't like regrets. I don't want to be an old man sitting on notebooks and notebooks and notebooks saying to myself, man, I should have published these books. Or feel the way I was feeling at the time where 
When I was in college, I should have just put this book out and kept going and thinking about where would I be if I had done that. So I said to myself in 2010, I wrote on, the, on my company BlackBerry, my two weeks resignation, CC'd all the owners, all the management, and I never looked back. And that's when I released my second book. As soon as I got the proof copy in my hand on my second book, Open Spaces, that's when I sent the I hit sent. How, how old were your children? Oh, my kids, I can't do the math, but they were still pretty young, still pretty young. Pretty young. But I said to myself, you know what? I also did it for them. Because mm-hmm. working the job, I was a manager. I used to have to work so many hours that I would leave when it's dark, get home when it's dark. So I was being a father, I'm taking care of them financially, but I'm not being a dad. I'm not there to take them to school. I'm not there to talk to them when they get home from school. And on the weekends or when I do get to spend time, I'm so tired, all I want to do is sleep. So it was a quality of life decision too, even though, listen, I was driving a 530 IBMW. I gave that back. Because I said I want to take that money that I'm putting towards that car and I want to invest in me. I'm a bet on me. Wow. Right? And then what that also did is I was able to be a better father. Parent teachers now, I'm always there. Every show I'm there, they have a school trip, I can go. If they get sick, I don't have to ask anybody for permission to go and get my kid. Or if my kid can be sick for a week, I don't have to get in trouble at work because I know I can stay home with them and make sure they're good. So it was a quality of life decision as well. Where did that come from? Where did that fire, that, that ambition, that courage, that confidence come from to okay, not only start writing a book, right. right, which is something that so many people think about, right. talk about, never actually do, right. complete the book, self-publish it, not wait for someone else to discover you, right. right, but then to actually take the risk of when you did the second book six years later, right, right, to say, you know what, I'm leaving, like, where did that, where did that come from? Right. Is my, that a trait? Your family? My, my grandmother was a poor lady in Jamaica, real poor. Meaning, my grandmother used to cut cane, sugar cane, like a slave in Jamaica. She came to America, and she could have just decided to just be regular, and she just, you know. My grandmother graduated from college on the same day as her daughter. Wow. My grandmother became a head nurse at Kingsbrook Jewish Medical Center. And she didn't stop there. You know, a lot of people were, all right, that's, okay, I went from being a dirt, from being dirt poor to now I'm a nurse. All right, I'm good. Now my grandmother started her own ambulance business. Wow. Employed people from the community, employed guys that just came home from prison, and was a pillar in the community for a long time. So I used to work for her as well. So I always knew that if my grandmother did that, I could do that. Wow. Right? And I know what the feeling was to work for yourself. So I said, you know what? I'm going to just bet on me. I'm going to just bet on me. Since writing the second book. Yeah. Going back. Was there... Because I know, again, what what, what stops a lot of us is is the fear, the doubt. Yeah. Um, So first book, six years later, you got second book. Right. Were you... Did you know you would be here 17 books later? No. Like, Like, did you know or was it like... Like, what was that process like going from second book, third book, fourth book? And again, you're still asking the question, was there any point that you wanted to give right. up? Like, this is a lot. Yeah. Maybe it's not making enough money. Right. Some of the two children who need me. Right. Talk about- De- definitely. After the, after the second book, what I started to realize is that I can't take five, six years in between books. <laughs> right? Because now, 
with the job, when I was working my job and promoting my first book, you know, it was more of a hobby. Mm-hmm. Not that I wasn't passionate about it, but it's more of a hobby. Whether I sold one book or none, I had that paycheck to cover what I needed to cover. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm depending solely on income from my books, I have to write faster because I don't have a, I didn't have a huge audience. I'm just starting. So after you pretty much touch all the people that are going to read the first book, the sales start to slow down. And the only way to spike them again is to drop another book. So now, and also because I didn't have the job and this is my full-time thing now, you don't have that excuse of, oh, I got to go to work. This is my work. So I had to figure out how to juggle time between being a dad, which was tricky at first because the kids see you home or they see you around more <laughs> and they start feeling like it's playtime. And I have to tell them, no, 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 listen, I'm here right now, but I'm working as well. Because I end up working more now than I used to. A lot of people have to understand that too. Jumping into entrepreneurship or being self-employed, you're not cutting your hours now. Nine yeah, to ten times, you doubling your, t- you sleep less and you work more. Mm-hmm. But it's just that you have more freedom, you have more flexibility. But um, there was times I wanted to. There was a time I got sick. I was on crutches. Wow. All the money that I had made that I stashed took me right back down to zero. Mm-hmm. I had to start over again. And the only thing that kept me going. It's not necessarily self-doubt. I'm just that stubborn. I'm that stubborn because I took that energy from people who looked at me like, are you crazy? Like, so you just going to quit your job and just do this. I took that negative energy. Well, because sometimes it's that negative energy, energy from people that doubt it. It's not malicious. Not at all. It's just that they don't see themselves doing it, so they can't see you doing it and being successful and at uncertainty, it. And they, it, maybe it's really love. They love you and want to protect you. Exactly. They want to make sure you're all right. So it's not always a negative space, but I still took it, and all it did is fuel my stubbornness. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'm down to zero, but I'm going to climb back up. And that's happened a few times because there's ebbs and flows. Things happen. You have to start over from scratch. And the only way I made it here is just being that stubborn that I'm not going to stop. Nice. All right, so let's go somewhere else, right? So 17 books. Yeah. Which one is your favorite? Okay. Which one um, are you most proud of? Okay. Um, and which one do the people love the most? Okay. Right now, I'm going to start with the one that people love the most. Right now, I find that people love death in the city in the most. I think I did the best job promoting that. I also think that the cover that I designed stands out. The cover is amazing. And I also think that in that book, because it's basically an anthology, but all the stories just written by me, mm-hmm. where the characters and the storylines cross and intersect. I just think in that book, I'm able to show off everything I'm good at, all in one book. So I would say right now, that's the one that I always sell out the fastest of. Um, in terms of my favorite, that's tough because I have. I have different ones that I like for different reasons. I believe that Water Flows on the Doors will always be, let's say, my favorite because it was my first in a way. And that's the one that when I put out and the response that I got, let me know that, no, you could do this. That's the one that set me on the path. All right. Um, what was the other question? And which one are you most proud of? What I'm most proud of. Like, like, like you put the most effort in. It was the toughest to write. And you did it. And he was like, ah, I did Open it. Open Spaces. Yeah. Because open space, that's the one that made me quit my job. Mm. It took me the longest to write. A lot of it was personal. I think that's the one that most everyday folk could relate to. 
And I think that's the one that when I, I put that one out, people realized that I, I was really good. And I had also grown from my first to that one. And the type of storyline that it is, so many people connect to it and can relate to it, that I'm really proud of that one. So a lot of times when people ask, like, where's a good place to start? That's the one I'll give open spaces. Open spaces. Nice. So let me ask you similar, but is there any book that you have out that you wish you could do over? Maybe you didn't, maybe it's something that you want to put in, some stuff yeah. you can take out that you yeah. did. Is there any book that you have that you like, it's yeah. good, I like it, but if I could do it over, I would do it differently? Yeah. Um, my third book, Sometimes Brooklyn, Mostly Mars. Now, the reason why I would say I would want to do that one over is not so much the content. But that was the first book where I actually taught myself how to format <laughs> okay. and the cover and everything. I was teaching myself because I was spending a lot of money to have people format it mm. and do the covers. And I, that was the first that was like my experiment. Like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to take I'm going to take this one and, and learn how to do all of this. So if I could go back, I probably would do some things differently with the knowledge and the experience that I have now in formatting and everything else. I would do that book over, but that's yeah, that's the one. Nice. And is there any story that you haven't told that yes, you still have time to tell it, but you wish you would have told it maybe a little sooner? Is there a book that you have in your head that you wish you would have wrote in between the one and seventeen? Yeah, yeah, I have. I actually have a notebook because I used to forget so many ideas that come to me constantly. Things that I see every day inspire me. I said, that's a that's a book. This is a book. I might hear a song lyric. I might hear a song lyric and turn it into a whole book. So, I have a notebook, an idea book now, where I just write that stuff down. Yeah. And right now, there's over a hundred plots and storylines in it. So, that's I, I can't say I have one. I probably have a hundred. Wow. Because one of my one of the authors that I like is Isaac Asimov, who wrote science fiction. He wrote over four hundred books in his lifetime. So when I you know hear, read his biography and I hear that he had at a time it was typewriters that his wife said that he had typewriters in every room and he would just bounce around. That's like what I want to do. So there's a lot of stories that I wish I had told already. Right now I wish I was moving at a faster pace because I would like to put out four books a year one for each quarter you know one for each season but I'm operating at about two three I'll get to four though. of course you will of course you will um, this is this is inspiring man this is amazing um, how do your children they're, they're older now how do they look at you and how do they feel about you knowing that their dad is he's not just a full time author but he's home he's with us like like do you speak to them about how they feel about you as an author like how do they see you you know um, yeah, talk about that because they're at an age where they can read your books right Right? What is that conversation? What is that? Like? The, the crazy thing is from the time they were little and they started to realize that this is what my dad does. And like when I get shipments of new books, they get just as excited as me. Like, yo, my dad did this. So when I would go to their schools, every school they've been in from elementary school to junior high to high school, I walk into the school and it always throws me off because I'm like a celebrity. Like, oh, you're Kelly's dad, you're Kai's dad. Oh, you're the author. And so you know they're bragging. I have their teachers want to buy my books. And so it's, I know they're proud. And the thing that I'm most proud of in terms of my decision to do this full-time and to be a full-time author, it's not, it's not what it does for my ego or for my aspirations or goals. It's watching them now understand that, yes, 
They have their dreams. They have their things that they want to do. And what I like is they're taking steps to make them a reality. And because they've watched me and they understand, they've seen how hard I work, they know that it's not easy. That it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of doing what other people won't do in order for you to prosper, excel, and to be able to do it. So, and I, I believe they learn from me by example. We can tell our children to do this and to do that and they should be doing this. But if we as parents or even as the older folks or the generation ahead of them, because you don't necessarily have to be a kid's, a child's parent to inspire them. It could be a niece, a nephew, a kid on your block, a neighbor. They have to see you doing it. And, and then they'll repeat the process. No, people, people follow what they see, not what they hear. That's why exactly. it's always been like that, I think. Um, no, this is this is good, man. Um, so many questions, so many thoughts. I'm so like inspired and motivated, man, and like, going to the vault. Um, what has been the most challenging moment or experience in this process from book one to now? The most challenging thing has been to stay true to myself because you could easily fall into following trends of what's popular, what you see selling, what it seems as if people are gravitating towards. I feel I have the skill and the talent to replicate that, to do exactly what everybody else is doing. But I just feel that I would be betraying myself in doing that. So the hardest thing is getting people to understand that my writing style is unique, the type of stories I'm telling you, they are unique. And to convince them to initially pick up that first book to check you out. Because once they do, a real reader or a person as an avid reader, they recognize that it's different, that it's something fresh. And so nine out of ten times, once they pick up one of my books, I have a reader for life. Because it's so di- I give them something so fresh that they, they crave it. But the difficulty is that... You can't market it the same way as the other, because it's not the same. So I never want to trick you into thinking it's one thing and it's not. So the only thing I could do is get out in the world, show who I am, and convince you to take a chance on my work. So that's been the biggest challenge. And it always has been, and I think it will be for a while, until you get mainstream and your name just ring bells and people know, nah, he do what he do. But that's the hardest part of it is getting new readers, is growing your readership. And I decided, instead of taking shortcuts by following trends, because I've seen a lot of authors come and go. They even had talent, but they jumped on a trend. The trend got played out, and nobody remembers you because your work didn't stand out. Wow. Right? So now you're back to working a regular job. You stopped selling books, and you just, right? I don't want that. I'm looking for longevity. I'm trying to last forever. Because I always tell people, you have a choice. You could be a match, or you could be a candle, or you could be the sun. I'm trying to be the sun, right? I don't want to be a match. That's what would happen if I just follow trends. I don't want to be a candle where I market myself like I'm... No, I want to be the sun. Self-ignited. That's it. And self-sustaining. And almost forever. Yo, man, this is dope. We're going to take a little one-minute break, man. Um, Just play a little commercial, man. We'll be right back, man. Keith, brother, thank you. This is dope. We'll come back with a few more questions before we wrap. Peace. 
Hey man, we back. We it's the Sugar Ray. We back here with the Black Man Working Podcast with Brother Keith Kareem Williams. Man, he's been dropping it on us. Man, he's been giving us a little bit of his journey, a little bit of his wisdom, sharing a little bit of insight of how he is who he is, why he is who he is. Um, but I want to go now, brother, to something maybe a little personal, right? Um, I know one of the things that when I met you, you described yourself as as an author, also as a single dad. Um, talk about that. Uh, how did that process Were you an author Before you became A single dad Or talk about right. that Single dad authorship how, how did that whole thing Work out How did it manifest And talk about it Okay Well I wasn't a single dad When I put out my first book In fact My kid's mom She was going to school And she was really excited And proud When I first put out When I put out The first book Water Flows Under Doors She even took copies Told them to her classmates Her classmates came back And was like Yo your husband is The truth Like he's really talented So she was proud She was excited But What happened was Just life Trying to maintain Trying to Take care of your family And I think I never put the blame on her That we eventually broke up Because it's not all on hers I'm not a perfect person But I also felt like I got a taste Of what I could do and my potential and something that I could be doing instead of working two jobs and I could be pursuing my passion. And what happens is sometimes you don't see it yourself, but your your, your mood change, your whole vibe change. The person that you're with feels the change. And I think it's a combination of her maybe feeling like it was partly her fault for holding me back from it. It starts to be friction between us. And I don't think neither one of us to this day fully understands what went wrong, but we kind of drifted apart. And as I think about it, I realized that I probably started to become more frustrated with life and my situation because I had a talent, obviously, because of the feedback I got from the first book, that I could be doing something else. And But I'm trapped doing this because I have to maintain everything. And I believe she felt that. And so you drift apart. You become colder with each other. And that's how I ended up being a single dad. It just got to a point where we just couldn't be around each other. After we broke up, still for a couple years, now I had more time to write because that was my outlet. That helped me get through all of it. That's why I said earlier in the interview that Open Spaces was probably one of those books that stand out to me because of what I was, what was going on in my life. Now, the story is fiction, but a lot of the emotion, the sentiment, the things that went on between the couple is real. So that's why that one will always kind of stand out to me amongst all my books. And that's the one that set me on the path to be a full-time author. And, you know, I made the decision to be a full-time author and quit my job while I was a single dad. But because I needed to be a, I needed to be a, a dad, not just a father. I need to be around and being self-employed would have gave me the flexibility that I needed to be able to do that. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, in that process, last question about that. In that process of separating, um, you weren't just involved, you were married. All right? No, we were just involved. Oh, you just involved, okay. Common marriage, yeah, together for yeah. a while, children. Ten years. Ten years, <laughs> common law marriage, yeah. right? Do you feel that your writing took a toll during that process? Did you take a toll? And if so, how did you bounce back? How did you realize that this is not the end of life? I still got talent. I still got responsibilities. I still need to I still need to dig out and right. dig in and be greater in right. that process. Because there were a lot of times where a lot of people um, lose their relationship, right. their, um, their fellow co-parent, right. and they go into a hole. 
Right. They never come out. They go into a deep, dark depression. Right. This is the person who they intended to spend the rest of their life with, and it right. didn't happen. So how did you battle that while right. still having this vision of being a writer and right. writing more books? For me, one of the things I made my mind up is there was a lot of depression because you go from a routine where... You know, you always we always around this person. It's not like one of those relationships where you don't see each other. No, we always if, we, if she wasn't working, I wasn't working. We was together. So you go through the process of not only now doing everything by yourself, you have to also deal with your kids' emotions, where they miss the other parent that's not there because you always live together. It was never a situation where she lived over here, I lived. We always lived together. So you have to also cope with that. So I was so busy trying to keep my kids focused and making sure I was around so that they could heal from it. Because I think that even more so than me, I'm a grown man. I'll eventually get over it. I think the kids took the biggest hit from it. So now me trying to stitch up all their wounds, that was one thing that kept my head on straight. I made my mind up. I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to do anything else to get out of that. And so instead of letting it be negative and wallowing in it, what I decided to do is, well, then I'm going to become the best version of myself. Nice. What I wanted to do, I'm going to do it. There's no excuse. Let me go ahead and do that. And also the writing is also was therapeutic for me. I got to put down a lot of things that I was feeling in the relationship down on paper. But if you read that book, it's not just from my perspective. It's from hers as well. Years later, my kid's mom picked up that book and she said she can't read it. Not because, and not, it's not because I didn't bash at all in the book. It's because as she started to read, what she realized is that I understood a lot of what she was feeling and what she was experiencing it wow. because I wrote it down. But also on the flip side of that, I believe that on those pages, she saw things that she didn't understand about me that I also put down. So the writing is what actually helped me deal with the separation and being a single father and everything else. Because the beauty of writing is that you get to express yourself uninterrupted. <clears throat> when you're having a debate, even if there's a mediator or you're sitting out with a therapist, there's a back and forth push and pull. The beauty of writing is you just get to say what you have to say. You said it and it's there and it's solid. Wow. Now, when the other person picks it up and read it, there's no back and forth. All they, they, they are forced to sit down read. and read and absorb everything you said. Because a lot of times what goes wrong in arguments and debates is the other person no, is not really not. listening. They just waiting to respond. They are just waiting to get off of their chest whatever they want to get off their chest. They're not really taking time to to really process what you said. So with the writing, and sometimes there's things that I might write that nobody might ever read. It might just sit in a journal, but I said it and I got it off my chest. And I wasn't, I didn't, nobody can argue with you. It's uninterrupted and it's on paper. And I said what I said and I meant what I said because I took the time <laughs> to write it down. For real. Wow. And that's liberating, that's freeing. And I think even if you don't want to be an author, even if you don't want to be a writer, even if you're not good at it, I think that's important for people to do. Thanks. No, I agree. I agree, man. Um, <sighs> so you are actually you're 15 years in as a writer, yeah. right? Officially, yeah, it's 2004 first book, but yeah. consistently, yeah, nine years, yeah, right? Consistently nine consistently years. Consistently nine years in, man. So I mean, by stats, you wrote 16 books in nine years. Yeah. Do you ever reflect like like from now, like look look at that process and be like, yo, 
Like, is there any, like, 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 what gives you the confidence? Like, what gives you the, like, I'm here? Because um, I know sometimes, you mentioned before the other day when we met, you mentioned that you went to an event and you did your first book or something like that, yeah. and nobody knew you. Right. So you felt a little, like, uncomfortable. Right, right, right. right. But 17 books in, yeah. technically 16 books in nine years. Right, right. It's more than one book per year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Some some write one in 20 years, right? Right. What's that feeling like? Like, like, what's that feeling? What's that air of like? I'm here. I'm established. I'm official. Right. Let's get it. I have to credit my readers for that mm. because I still had the first email I ever got from a reader praising my work. Wow! Right? I and it's different when you you know your friends buy your book, your neighbors, people in your neighborhood, your pet, you know. The praise you get from them, you, you take it with a grain of salt because you know they want you to do good. Yep. But when a complete stranger from a totally different part of the country that you never met, the only thing they have to base what they think about you on is on your work. Wow. And they praise you at that level. You know you're official. I sold a book to a lady. And I, and I, and I consider even me selling books to people, strangers, I consider that plants and seeds. Because sometimes somebody will buy your book and they won't read it right away. Mm -hmm. There are people that buy my books that say, look, brother, I just want to support you. I yeah. respect what you're doing out here. I'm going to buy it. I'm not a reader, but I'm going to buy it. I'm going to tell you two real quick, two stories that let me know that gave me that confidence. I used to go in the Bronx and sell a lot of books. I had switched up. I'm down in Brooklyn. I came across a dude in the street. He said, I read that book already. Now, remember, I'm an independent author. I'm not in bookstores. I'm not mainstream. I'm like, what's the likelihood that you read one of my books? So I was like, yeah, I see. Yo, bro, if you don't want to buy the book, just don't buy the book. It's all good, but don't tell me you read it. He said, and he got offended, like real upset. He said, yo, bro, I'm telling you I read this book. And he started telling me about my own book. Wow. And I said, well, he said his homegirl bought it in the Bronx. He was hanging out her crib. He picked it up off her couch, and he said he just borrowed it. Like, yo, I got to borrow this. Wow. So that's what let me know, nah, you official. And another lady I sold a book to years ago. I probably sold her that book in 2011. Two years ago, I got an email from her because I wrote my email address in the back of the book, and it's still the same. She said she just picked the book up. She said she broke up with her husband. She was stressed out. She was looking for something to do. She saw it on her bookshelf, and she picked it up and read it. She apologized about 10 times in that email for just picking up that wow. book and reading it just then, saying that she wished she had read it the day she bought it. So when you get the feedback from strangers, from readers, that they have no skin in the game, right? They don't have to praise you. And you get that from strangers where people tell you, yo, I cried when I read your book. Wow. I didn't see it that way. Or do you live in my house? How do you know these things go on? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When you get that feedback from readers and those are strangers that they don't have any reason to praise you. When they go through the trouble of sending you an email because they were, they, they were so passionate about what they read from you, that's what gives me the confidence to walk around with an air of, yo, I really do this. I do this. I do this for real. Because <laughs> there's a difference between, like, there are people who write a book and they don't sell a book. They don't right. bring the book out. Nobody right. knows they wrote the book, like right. you said, other than maybe their close friends, close family, co-workers. Right. Um, and, and, and maybe they want to be, they want to sell more. Right. They want to be out there more, but they just not, for whatever the reason is. Um, so there's a difference between being a writer and being a writer-writer. Yeah, because the confidence, I, I, I have an author friend that's like that. And I always tell her, she, you know, oh, I don't sell books. I said, because in order for people to believe in it, 
you have to believe in it, right? So your vibe is one that, oh, I don't know, and you don't really promote yourself. So guess what? If you don't believe in it, believe people could sense that. They could feel that energy coming off of you. They won't believe in you. You have people that even... You you have a musician that his music isn't that good. His confidence to sell his records. Yeah, absolutely. No, he's a lot of people literally like that. convince people. Yeah. We got politicians that ain't yeah. good at what they do. Yeah. But they just convince yeah. people. So if you have a real talent, believe in your talent. Believe in yourself. Go out in the world and put that energy out there. You should constantly be telling people. Like me, the first thing I always say, I I, I joke with people like well, since I've been single. I joke with people and say, I have pickup lines. It's just conversation. A woman asks, what do you do? I'm an author. And that's that's it. And we just start talking. That's how I deal with everything. If I walk into a store and any type of conversation that always comes up, the same way somebody else will tell you, I'm a doctor, I'm a surgeon. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a politician. It, it comes in a random topic. Nobody even asked you. So yeah, what? I'm I'm, I'm, I'm author. You know. Other people yeah. let you know. I'm yeah. a nurse. I'm a doctor. Yeah. I'm a cab yeah. driver. I'm an author. <laughs> I'm an author. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, if you wasn't writing books, right? If you wasn't an author at this point in your life, what would you be doing? At this point in my life, I'd probably if be. You was 43 years old right. and you had never written a book. Right. Where would your life be? Or if you wrote the first book, it didn't go well. Where would yeah. you be? What would you be doing with your time right now? I'd probably be working a regular job, stressed out, and just maintaining. And even if, because most times when I, you know, I worked for a long time, most of my life. And the only thing that made me make the shift is that I said, this energy that I put into other jobs. But most jobs, listen, I could start off as the guy moving boxes. I've been fortunate enough, my work ethic, and I'm, you know, just the way I am, I usually end up becoming like a manager, supervisor. And what I would have been doing is still talking to people, still sharing my story, still being positive, because I've met a lot of people in life and I do have good conversations with people and so on and so forth. But I would have been frustrated because I would have felt like I was limiting myself because I know that I have this talent. And once I realized that I have this talent and it's not just. It's not just a hobby type of thing. It's something that I could really touch people with. I wouldn't have been living in my purpose. And so I would have been frustrated. I probably would have been working a regular job, but I would have been not being myself and I wouldn't have been as happy. Maybe I would have been making more money. Who knows what type of job I would have had. Not as happy. But I wouldn't. And your quality of life and your happiness, it matters. It matters because you have people that they, they work a lot, they make a lot of money, but they hate their job. So, what's the point? You know what I mean? You spend most of your time at work. Yeah. If you really look at it, traveling to work and you spend eight hours of work sometimes. Ten, you know, ten hours, if yeah. not more. Yeah, like ten hours at, from work, at, at work. Right, at work. And then, so when you come home, you don't really spend eight hours. Not with your family. Not, so, if you can find what you love to do that you're good at and you can earn a living off of it, or you can maintain, do that. Your quality of life, your peace of mind, your happiness, yo, that stuff matters. No, the utmost importance. Um, seventeen books. Yeah. When's book eighteen coming out, man? Book eighteen was due in October. Okay. But um, I say give me another month. A lot of things happen, and so and, and what I did wrong is I chose this independent author life also to avoid deadlines, <laughs> right? And what I what I did wrong is I gave myself a hard deadline. Yeah. And with the hard <laughs> deadlines, I don't do well. Same. Right? So now, this is the last book I'm going to make a hard deadline with. But what it is, is this book is fantasy. 
So what's taking me so long is world building is not easy. If it was a romance or a, 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 a typical genre, more reality-based, it would have been easier because the mechanics of it is already in place, right? But because this is fantasy, I'm world-building. So when you get into that now, it starts to become more complicated. It becomes more complex. So that's what's taking what the, the time. Look like? What are the, what are the homes? Right, what, the and then you have to give it everybody a background and a back history because it's, it's, it's a modern fantasy, so it's based in the real world, but in a world underneath the world. So now what it's happens is it's a lot. It's a lot. Fast forward, man. Five years, ten years down the line, man. What are you doing? Where do you see yourself, man? Are you writing movies? Is what's happening five, ten years down the line, brother? Five five, ten years down the line, hopefully I could walk across the stage and get something like a Pulitzer, something so I could show off to my kids. I really do it to show off to my kids <laughs> so they can brag. Yeah. But um I really I'm I've written screenplays. Um, I keep hearing from readers that certain books, you know, this should be a movie, this should be a movie. So far now, I plan to have at least a movie. I would love, I'm not I'm not even going to say I would love, I'm going going to, I'm going to speak it into existence. Sure. Have a series based on my books, on some network, but I just, and I also just want a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. A bigger audience. I just want to reach as many people as I can. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, any tips, any advice, any words of encouragement for a new writer or for writers who are who have written books, who are authors, but they're not, they're still stuck between a the job, they still right. you know, don't have the confidence to leave the job to go in full force, or right. they're in full force, but they're not selling as many books as they right. would like to or need to, right. to sustain. Any tips for all of those people, man? Again, new right. author, established authors, authors who aren't making the money, authors who right. are making the money but want to write more books but afraid. Right. Just give us some tips, brother. One of the most important things is time management, right? I learned this from a from a job I had where he didn't trust his supervisors. So what the boss did is he gave us all sheets with six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, all the way through the whole day, twenty four hours, and wanted us for every day to document what we did between that time. If you believe that you don't have the time to push your career, I don't care how many hours you work on your job, because I wrote my second book, taking the subway back and forth to my job. So that's why I don't accept excuses. Trust me, there's time in the day for you to do what you do. And it's a matter of how much do you want it, right? It might mean, guess what? That show that I watch every Monday, I can't watch it on Monday, right? That means that hour that I take to watch that, I'm going to have to cut that off. It might mean that you have to give up an hour of sleep. You might have to wake up an hour earlier or go to bed an hour later. It might mean that instead of going over here and doing this and hanging out or instead of going to the bar today, yo, listen, I'm going to sit down and write. Yo, everybody could squeeze out an hour here and there. And what it, what it really boils down to is what do you want, right? What's more important? If you want to be successful at this or anything, that have to be really high up on your priorities. So I don't. No matter how many hours you work, look. Everybody get a lunch break at work. I don't roll on my lunch break. Instead of going to the cafeteria, find somewhere quiet on your job and say, "Yo, I'm taking this hour and I'm doing this here or this half hour, this twenty minutes." It's how bad you want it. And in your off time, when you're not at work. You have to be dedicated to that. And it's not, it's, you don't have to have a book event every, every day. 
It's as simple as ladies. If you, fellas, you go to the barbershop. Ladies, you're going to get your hair done. You're going to get your nails done. Listen, when you go there, you're an author. Listen, can I tell the customers about my book? Right? And guess what? If you go to your barbershop, fellas, and your barber won't let you tell the customers about your book and get some love in the barbershop, <laughs> you got to find a new barber, brother. Because if I'm doing business with you consistently and faithfully, you can't. You got to be able to do business with me. Same for you, ladies. Your hairdresser, wherever you go, that's a thing. If I walk into a store, any conversation, I don't care if it's my on the subway, church, anybody I have a conversation with, I'm an author. Hand them a card. It, and that applies for any business. You have to be on it like that. If you're not on it like that, you're not going to win. No, definitely. And, and you know what that makes me think about? That makes me remember um, brand over sales. Brand, because when you push your brand, the sales become automatic and they get bigger. But when you push sales, yeah. like you become salesy and nobody wants sales. Nobody wants sales. Nobody wants commercials. Nobody wants commercials. Facts. Nobody man. wants commercials. And so, um, yeah, that's that's helped me remind you just reminded me of that, man. Because um, a lot of a lot of my book sales come from conversations. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm out there with my table, and sometimes people don't have the money, they're not interested. They walked up to me, they they didn't really want to spend the money. And I tell them, nah, listen, I just want to talk to you about the books. Mm-hmm. You don't have to buy one. Let's just have a conversation. We end up talking about life or all type of other things. And then at the last minute, they'll say to me, man, we didn't even talk about your books. Um, recommend one. So it's don't be salesy. Don't be salesy. All you're doing is you're showing passion that you're that this is what I do. I'm an author and I'm excited and I'm an author. And you being excited about it will get people to ask you questions about it. And once they ask you questions, the sales will come. Don't constantly be on some, I'm selling, I'm selling, buy my book, buy my book. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. Just be yourself. It doesn't work for anything. And for anything, for any type of business, it doesn't work. Man, this is great. Um... Brother, thank you so much for your time, pleasure, man. man. On this Wednesday, me, man. man, you have been great. Um, tell the people how we can reach you, how we can support you. Where can we get your books? Where can we follow you? Talk, right. Drop your you can you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My name is at Reem After Dark, R E E M After Dark, all one word. You can find me on Facebook, Keith Kareem Williams. All my books on Amazon, just Keith Kareem Williams. I have eBooks, I have paperbacks. Yo, that's that's how to get in contact with me, man. Yo, man, you really a black man out here working, man. Keep it up, brother. We salute you. Everybody, Keith Kareem Williams, check him out. Go check his work out, man. Support him on uh, social media. Follow him. Get to know him. I mean, I'm not even saying he's the next biggest thing because to me, he's already a big thing. Peace. Peace.